The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. How can you raise open-minded and morally grounded kids these days with an approach that's rooted in science, psychology, and faith? And how can you help your children experience a holiday season filled with spirituality and gratitude? To help parents answer those questions, we're joined by our guests on this episode, Reverend Molly Basquette and child psychologist Ellen O'Donnell, who've co-authored a new book called Bless This Mess, a modern guide to faith and parenting in a chaotic world. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to write the book. Molly, why don't you go first? Sure. So I am a progressive Christian pastor. I was ordained at 28 and became a mom at 30. And it's basically been on the job training for both of those things since then. And uh, I met Ellen when she came to our church in Somerville, Massachusetts, with her baby Luke in a sling. Um, And we found uh, just real mind mates and heart mates in each other, having lots of important conversations about the nexus of spirituality and faith and how they really collaborated, um, how they really formed a whole. Um, Ellen, do you want to say a little more about some of those early conversations? Sure, yeah. Um, So at the time that Molly and I met, I was finishing up my dissertation and graduate program in clinical child psychology, so I felt like I knew a lot about parenting and was relatively prepared, even though I was a little bit on the young side to have my first, Luke. I was in my mid to late 20s at the time. Um, But once he arrived, I found I just didn't know how my own little family was going to handle faith and religion and spirituality. I grew up really Catholic, um, but was looking for a practice for my family that fit us and fit all of us, fit our political beliefs, our social justice bent, our intellectual ideas. Um, And so I Googled liberal Christian churches, which is what brought me to um, Molly's church at the time. Um, where her son was one of the very few other children in the congregation. And we started sending our kids to the same daycare and we started carpooling. And it was really in those moments, the sort of liminal moments of shuttling kids back and forth, messy moments, seeing each other's backstage, as we say, that we really started talking about what we were each struggling with as moms. Um, And had a lot to share with one another, the way that Molly talked to kids um, and about faith and spirituality with kids really resonated with what I knew about child development. And we just felt like we sort of had something maybe to say um, that was so helpful and supportive to each other that we wanted to share with other people. Um, We were both very inspired by Wendy Mogul's Blessing of a Skinned Knee, which was her reflections on her Jewish faith in parenting. And we felt like we could do something similar for parents of a more progressive Christian faith or bent. 
you know, we were both readers, and there really wasn't anything like that in the marketplace for progressive Christians who wanted this dimension of science and psychology and child development that kind of meshed with their theology. There was plenty on the fundamentalist side, but that's not how we or lots of folks we knew wanted to parent. So we decided we had to write it. One of the things you guys talk a lot about in the book is about the holidays and ways to celebrate with your children and what's most important for children to learn and rituals and spirituality. And we'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about what seems to be a good way to approach the holidays with children with a faith base. Yeah, I think you mentioned um, the rituals and routines piece. And I think um, kids thrive on routines. We know that, right? Because we know as soon as you disrupt that routine, you may live to regret it (laughs) Um, sooner, maybe even sooner than you expect. Um, And so, you know, I think growing up for me, I grew up quite Catholic. um, And so we had lots of rituals and routines. And those were the things that I remember most about growing up around the holidays. I remember my parents leaving um, one of the window candles that we had in our in our colonial house um, lit on Christmas Eve to welcome the Christ child. And I remember putting the baby Jesus in the manger after midnight mass. Um, and, and the rituals and routines can be more secular too. Um, you know, always knowing that you're going to leave the same snack for Santa and wake up to whatever note or treat he's left. But, um, really kind of building those things in, I think are more what kids are going to remember than whatever present they find under the tree uh, in a given year. Um, and yeah, maybe Molly, you can talk a little bit more about how we sort of think about bringing um, spirituality and faith into that. Sure, because Christmas can be so secular, right? I mean, there's so many secular traditions that that take over and overwhelm us and can kind of crowd out the original intention of the season, which is the birth of Jesus, you know, God with skin on, as I like to say, come to earth to share our whole lived experience, you know, come as a vulnerable baby. And what does that mean? You know, come as, um, you know, it's a great story to tell the children, comes as, as not just one of us as a human, but one of you, someone who is really powerless um, and at the mercy of the people around him who have to care for him. Um, so lots of ways to bring that back in. I mean, going to church and finding a church community, if you don't have one, is an obvious one. And frankly, um, all the stuff that happens at Christmas is great leadership development for kids, which is another reason I think um, rituals um, around the holidays are so great because they help kids learn new roles and kind of take on power. Um, one of my favorite memories in childhood was the um, pageant at my at my church and choosing your role and finding yourself in this story. You really understand it, not as this ancient old timey thing, but something that's still going on. How are we still shepherding each other? How can we be angels for each other? You know, what's our place in this story? My youngest is now 13, but is still such a a guardian of the rituals in our house, the Advent and Christmas rituals. We do an alternative Advent calendar with a different prompt every day that might prompt us toward kindness or generosity or just a different way of focusing on the reason for this holiday. Um, The Advent candles, we have an Advent wreath in our house, so every week you light an additional candle, that sense of building toward this great mystery. Um, And the crest, we we really act out the story. Each week we change the 
the characters around in the crash, depending on how the story's unfolding. And that really keeps us sort of daily in touch with um, that, the reason for Christmas. One of the areas that you get into in the book is, is talking to kids about money and spending during the holidays. And we're wondering mm-hmm. what, what thoughts you have to pass on with regard to that, because that's such a big area for parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk in the book about how very early on you can start to talk with kids about the difference between needs and wants um, and about cues that are inside of us and all around us of how much is enough. So, you know, we talk in the book about how even early on you can use hunger, actual literal visceral hunger as a way of describing, you know, when, when you need, when you need food, when you've had enough food, um, when you've had too much food, how that feels inside. Um, And so I think that discussion of needs and wants is critical around the holidays. Um, And you can also create ritual and routine around that. Um, You know, you can create lists of what does each child need and want? What do they want to give to others? Um, and talk about how it feels to give gifts and to think about what would be a great gift for their brother, their sister, their mom, their dad, their grandparent, um, and really just trying to, to bring some meaning to all of that. Um, needs, wants, understanding you can ask for lots of things, but you may not get everything that you ask for. So Santa fills our stockings, and stockings are a really special part of our Christmas. We wrap all the little gifts, well, Santa wraps all the little gifts in the stocking, um, and we really take our time with those. But it's parents who give the bigger gifts. And we started that early because we know our kids talk to their friends, and we didn't want them saying, oh, you know, Santa brought me a bike. And someone else who maybe is a different income level thinks that Santa doesn't love them as much as they love my kids who got bikes. So, um, and also just it's important that kids understand and appreciate their parents' efforts and generosity on their behalf because um, they're watching us all the time and they're learning much more from what we do than what we say. So we thought it was important that kids know that the bigger gifts came from us so that they would learn um, that, you know, that level of generosity is not just something that magically happens, but something we work for and something we um, want to be the beneficiaries of that gratitude. You know, we feel good giving those gifts, but um, yeah, how are we passing that on? And I believe in putting kids in charge of some of their own money at a very young age um, and letting them make decisions and choices about that money as a as a way of building their capacity for generosity. And we do um, allowance in thirds, share, spend, and save. So my kids' allowance, a third of it, is for giving away, either for charitable giving or to give gifts to others. And that really empowers them to kind of work that generosity muscle, which is going to serve them their whole life long. That's another really lovely holiday ritual is to maybe the day after Christmas when everything's opened and strewn about and you have a little bit of quiet time to maybe sit down as a family and think about year-end giving and where they might want to give their share money to a cause that's important to them. Another way of kind of bringing ritual and meaning back into the season. One of the things that I've always loved about gift giving around the holidays is picking out unique gifts for everybody and tailoring it to their personality and what my relationship is with that person. And I thought it was really interesting that you guys suggest simplifying gift giving and giving the same homemade gifts to everybody rather than coming up with a unique gift for everyone. I'm wondering why that is. It makes me crazy to think of 
what to give each individual person. But again, you know, Christmas is a working holiday for me. I have three services. So how do I do all the family and personal stuff and all the professional stuff? Um, but I think, you know, we, we, in terms of our own spending, um, I mean, ho- homemade personal gifts are great for everyone, but a lot of us don't have time for that. And sort of aggregating how much do we spend on Christmas for ourselves and the people we love in a world that where there is tremendous income inequality, where so few people have the basic needs of life. And so that's always in the background for me. Um, I spent a year working at an orphanage in Mexico and those after seminary, and those children really became my children. And that the life I had with them and the life they still have became really a plumb line for my own thinking about wants and needs and spending and giving. I think that was that is Molly's tradition, and I'm so glad you brought it up, though, because it's actually not not our tradition. It's not my tradition, um, and it sort of reflects back to that we really want to be really clear that we don't think there's one right way to parent. There's not one right way to do all of this stuff. So, um, you know, to the point of choosing special gifts for each person um, years ago. So I my cousins grew up with me more like sisters and each of them have two kids. So we have this big group of eight cousins now who are all sort of the same age as my kids. And it got overwhelming buying gifts for eight kids every Christmas. And we felt like the budget wasn't allowing us to buy them meaningful or even nice gifts because we weren't spending a lot of money on each other. Mm-hmm. And so we decided instead to do a secret, uh, uh, not exactly a secret Santa because everybody sort of knows who has who, but we pick a family. So one set of cousins buys for another set of cousins each Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it changes because we pull from a hat each year. And that way the budget is bigger. They can each choose something for their cousins that's a little bit nicer. Um, And they're just focused on thinking about two cousins and what those two cousins really love and would like to have that particular Christmas. And that's become their ritual and their tradition. And it's every year to see them as we pull the names out of the hat, you know, one set of cousins really wants a different set of cousins because they know exactly what they would get for them. And maybe they're a little disappointed when they get the other set of cousins. Cousins, but then they have to think about what those cousins would like, and um, it really and that's makes a great it exercise and empathy and and understanding and really thinking about other human beings, Ellen. And I think it really shifted it from a chore or a task to get something little that was within the budget for everybody to focused on the gift giving. And we know that it makes us happier to give than to receive. And so um, it's a different tradition. So I'm really glad you brought it up, though, because I think that's that's the case. Sometimes we talk about something that one of us does and the other one doesn't. And that's okay because there isn't really just one right way to do this. I'd like to hear from both of you what your thoughts are on helping kids through the holiday season if their family is going through a tough time financially or if there's been a divorce or mm-hmm. a death in the family mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of hanging mm-hmm. over the holiday. Whew. Here yeah. again, I think the, the <laughs> emphasis on ritual and routine and trying to keep things as normal as possible. I mean, that's really hard after divorce or the death of a parent. Um, but kids really, you know, again, thrive on routine and familiarity and having the same stories told over and over again or having the same, you know, ritual of going out to cut your tree down can really provide a lot of comfort. Um, and again, the emphasis on, you know, the reason for the season and the story of, of, of God coming to live among us and share our whole experience with all the pain and suffering inherent in that. I mean, 
it's not, you know, we tend to think of Christmas mm. as all joy and love and light, but the real story is that in some ways it was a story of hardship, um, vulnerability and fear. And, and when you're suffering, um, it can be a great comfort to know that God has shared our whole experience, that God understands all of our feelings and can hold all of that. Mm. And that more than one thing can be true, that it can be this really happy, joy-filled season, and there can be a sadness to it as well. And I think that's a really important lesson for our kids to have in general, um, because that's life, is to have those conflicting feelings and experiences all the time. Um, And I think uh, it's essentially what Molly said is keeping those rituals and routines, but also involving kids. We're, We're very much about talking about things and respecting kids' autonomy and opinions and what, which rituals and routines they want to keep and which maybe they're ready to let go of or new ones they want to create in the wake of a loss. This comes up a lot for me in my practice around this time of year. I just had a conversation the other day with a, a patient who's in college whose parents are going through the final stages of a divorce and selling a house. And we spent a lot of time talking about what she wants them to do with their Christmas tree. Um, they're actually a Jewish family, but they, they own their Christmas tree and it's meaningful to her. And should they get rid of the tree? Would it go to go to dads, go to moms? And it's still important to her, even as a college student, to sort of think those things through. What are the dangers of overscheduling kids during the holidays when they're invited to so many events that seem exciting and they want to go to every one of them? Besides the sugar high and the crash and the total meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> and that's mom, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mom having all those things. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's obviously the the most clear danger, but I think the other danger of that is losing a lot of what we're talking about. It's losing the spiritual aspect of Christmas and the rituals and routines that you have as a family, whatever your family looks like and however you define that, um, that if you get too caught up in accepting every invitation and doing all of these other things that are other people's rituals and routines, there's just not going to be enough space and time and energy left for your own. Hmm. And it's a great opportunity to sort of counsel them about your missing out, FOMO, as the kids say. Um, and saying, you know, listen, sometimes less is more. And sometimes when you have fewer, more meaningful experiences, you know, each one takes on more value, has more impact, and you're not worn out, wrung out before we're even at Christmas. Just remind them how they might feel if they do all the things, they might end up feeling exhausted and kind of empty at the end of it. You talk about making a ritual out of everyone expressing gratitude for their gifts. Tell us more about what that looks like for each of you. When we do stockings, a lot of the things inside of our stockings are wrapped. And so we open them really slowly and deliberately. You know, we sort of go in a circle and someone will open something and we'll we'll enjoy it. We we have a lot of joke gifts. So we'll, we'll sort of like take our time and really enjoy and play with things and use things and, um, to sort of create new memories around our experience of, of this unwrapping, this unearthing. Yeah, a lot of the kids in my family, my oldest included, love to just put on what they get right away <laughs> or open up the package and use it right away. And I totally. think sometimes as parents, we want to say, no, 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 you know, save that till later. It's going to make a mess or it's going to, you know, cause a fight with your sister about who's going to play with what when. 
but I actually think it's nice to encourage that because it's a way of them showing the person who gave them the gift that they that they love it and they're actually going to use it. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is I do tell my kids, if you don't like something that you get, you still say thank you because you're appreciative for the person of thinking of you and, and giving that to you. You don't have to lie. You don't have to pretend to love it. You just say thank you. Um, and I think also putting it on or using it or showing it is a nice way of showing gratitude too. I think um, I certainly grew up in a family where you also went around the room and gave a kiss and a hug to everybody who had given you a gift. Um, and my cousins and I have sort of now conditioned the older generation to know that that might not be comfortable for every one of our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other ways of them showing their gratitude too. And, and that's just fine and just as meaningful. Something that's so exciting during the holidays is receiving gifts. And I remember when I was younger, I would always hear that it's better to give than to receive. And that was something that kind of went in one ear and out the other for for a lot of my life. (laughs) I'm wondering what suggestions you guys have for teaching children that it truly is better to give than to receive and have them actually feel that way. I guess what I would say about that is that it's very much developmentally appropriate for our kids until they're pretty old <laughs> um, to be mostly self-centered and to to want more than they want to give. Um, and that's okay. I think we can use that in a way to work it in. So I know my boys almost always choose a gift for the other that will, will benefit them in some way, right? If mm-hmm. I buy my brother... Right. If I buy my brother a new hockey stick, then I get to use his old one and we can go down to the ice and play hockey together. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are generally giving each other something that is in good, is in some way going to benefit them. And that's OK. We I don't think we need to pretend it's not um, or encourage them to give totally selflessly because that's not developmentally appropriate. Um And so it becomes about the joy of seeing somebody else happy that you got them what they wanted. And maybe you also get to benefit in some way from that. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I don't think we should shame kids for having those natural feelings of enjoying receiving things. And Christmas is so exciting. You know, seeing wrapped presents under the tree. You know, there's, I'm sure there's some science about this because there's whole YouTube channels devoted to people opening gifts and they have lots of followers. So there's definitely some, you know, something biological going on there. But I think what we overlook even in ourselves as adults is that, you know, we may fight our own impulses um, against being generous. But if we have habits of giving, which is, you know, one thing my faith has really taught me is, is habits of giving, not just at Christmas, but year round. Um, we, we tithe, we give 10% of our income away. And when I actually do that, when I submit, surrender to those habits, I feel so great. And there actually is good science behind this, too. You know, they've done studies where they've given someone $10. Um, and when they keep it for themselves, they, it's an invitation to keep it for themselves or give it away, they report higher levels of happiness if they give it away. So I think we just need to give our kids opportunities as they grow to be generous, you know, sort of have like invite them into these habits with us and let them experience how good it feels to be generous, that, that specific kind of joyful power that comes in making others happy, whether it's people we love or, or strangers or, you know, people who are really vulnerable and suffering. 
holidays are such a perfect time to do that because they are going to receive no matter what, right? They're going to get gifts no matter what. And so it's almost like they don't even realize that it's all one circle going around. Um, My youngest is 10 and he and his fourth grade buddies all on their own decided this year they were going to do a secret Santa um, and buy each other something and then do, um, we have this thing called booing at Halloween where they show up and leave candy at the door and try to run away and you don't know who it was. So they're doing the secret Santa in that way and dropping these gifts off at each other's houses. They're basically just circulating around the same gift cards, right? <laughs> like they're getting the same dollars that they're spending on their buddy. Um, but they don't care because they're loving picking something out for their buddy and, and running up to the door and dropping it and running it running away. And so I think it's the perfect time to show them that, yeah, look, you give and you receive, you give and you receive, and it's just a cycle. And that holding on to something, you know, I got that $10, like Molly's saying, and I'm going to hold on to it until I, there's something I really, 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 really want is is actually not that joyful. My eighth grader did a secret Santa circle with her friend group and and overspent, went over budget and thought of really the perfect gifts for her friend that she was buying for um, and wrapped each thing individually and very carefully and, and was thrilled to see her friend's response. But then the gift she got was a used teddy bear. <laughs> she was very disappointed <laughs> Um, and we had a long theological conversation about that just yesterday, um, during which I, I, I tried to get her to focus on um, her friend's joy at receiving the gift she thoughtfully picked out and less on her disappointment at what she'd gotten. And, you know, you can't rush that. But this morning, um, you know, in her own time, she came in and she said to me, maybe that used teddy bear has a message for me. Maybe there's something magic about him and I just need to be open to what he's going to bring me. And she got there all on her own, you know? So lots wow. of lessons. Yeah, yeah. Our show is called Nobody Told Me, as as uh, you know. And we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about faith or parenting during the holidays and, and year round for that matter, that you had to learn on your own? And I, we'd like each of you to answer that one. Hmm. Do you want to go first, Molly, or you want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Nobody told me that having children would break me open so much in good ways and really hard ways. Um, I, I knew the kind of parent I wanted to be and thought I would be. Um, and I got, at least my firstborn was very different from the child I thought I might get. <laughs> sort of like, you never know what's, you know, what's inside that package. Um and I had to learn a really different way of parenting him um, in, in a way that required a lot more patience than I thought I had, um, that required me to kind of deal with my own wounds from childhood, um, that required me to, like, look at anger that came up when he was defiant and didn't do what I immediately wanted him to do. And he, over 18 years, has made me... Um, a much better parent and a much better person because of who he is, his his wonderfulness, his strength, um, and the love I have for him. Um, I guess I would say that nobody told me how having kids would trigger a spiritual shift for me. I mean, I've, as much as I knew about temperament and nature, I think I really, this is somewhat in Molly's response too, but I think I sort of overestimated the nurture side. I didn't expect to feel 
lost a little control when I became a parent. Um, and it really created a need in me to go back and sort of re-examine my faith and how I was practicing it that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't um, prepared for how having children would make me um, feel actually more connected to my husband, to our family as it is separate from our families of origin and also just to the world around us and, and the values and social justice issues and political issues that were important to us. And so it, it really triggered a, a sort of a crisis in me of how am I going to pass this on to my kids? How are we going to, as our own little family, create a structure and a practice of Christianity that works for us and that's in line with all of our values? And, you know, that isn't just going to church on Christmas because that's what I did growing up and I'm not comfortable with the rest of it the rest of the year. I felt like, oh, we need to fill in the rest of the year and what's that going to look like? Um, and I just was really fortunate to find Molly first as a pastor and now as a friend to help me do that. And I'm still doing it. It's still a process. It's still a journey. Um, and so, you know, I hope maybe our book gives people a chance to kind of join us in that friendship and on that journey, too, because it's been so important to me for that challenge that I just wasn't expecting when I had kids. Yeah. And how can people learn more about the book and connect with the two of you on social media? Sure. So um, our website is blessedthismessparenting.com, and we have a blog there and links to um, different things we've done and a little bit more about the book. You can find the book, Bless This Mess, pretty much anywhere you can find books. We're on Instagram at Bless This Mess Parenting, um, and we're both individually on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, Facebook's probably my favorite medium. I love to connect with people there. All right, super. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, both of you. This has been a delight. Thank you so thank much you for having us. Laura. Our thanks to Reverend Molly Basquet and child psychologist Ellen O'Donnell, co-authors of the new book, Bless This Mess, A Modern Guide to Faith and Parenting in a Chaotic World. And again, their website is blessthismessparenting.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 